Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Some of you guys double dip. Is Taylor in here right now? I saw the kid she was babysitting. Okay, Taylor double dip. She was hitting both services today. Um, you can double dip if you like. So I, I'm just going to say this. What's, what's that mean? I'm going to tell you what that means. So we've got a campus up north that starts at 10. got a campus here at 11. And our youth pastor's preaching up there. I'm just, I, I'm sorry, you guys, you don't get to hear him. You get me today. Because I like, we, we were studying the text together. And I'm reading like, this is so good. So if, if you like doing that, go online. You can watch, watch Joe. And he, the, the guy's a young man. I just love this. This young man, one is he gets Jesus, and Jesus is right in the middle of everything. Um, the kid is, the young man, sorry, I'm old. The young man has lived through adversity, and he lives the gospel out. So the way it happened through childhood, a mom who has MS, the way he's taken care of his mom, who's still in a wheelchair. And you know, the three kids that he's got, they're all foster kids. They came in, both he and Kelly got they got health problems and all this. She's such a nurturer. Well, well we, can, we can have foster kids. We can adopt kids. You know, so they adopted these three. And then they picked up a fourth one who's awesome a week ago, who's sicker than a dog and made them all sick. You know, He got sick all week long. And then Cindy mentioned you know, the tragedies in the community. They're related to those guys. But this guy gets the gospel. And um, you want to hear him preach this text. I just I feel like <clears throat> it's a gift to be around people who live this out really. So if you're newer with us or watch online, don't see this. We're not really good about being religious, um, meaning this. We really do. We are pretty nuts about Jesus. We really think he has to be the center. And whether you go to church or not, I think we all struggle with that. Because you can be religious and do religious things and not have Jesus at the center of your life, right? Meaning there's other things you love more than him, or you love the things he gives you more than him. And actually, this text speaks about that today in a really interesting way. So I'm just going to warn us ahead of time. I love and hate these texts. One is because Jesus tends to say these things that are like, they're not PC. They just, aren't, they just, just cuts to it, you know. I need to hear them. But I need not just hear them. I need to receive them. I need to think through them like he intends. And then I need to ask, Lord, would your Holy Spirit work in my life to change me? Because I can hear it all and walk out of here and forget about it, right? Isn't that true? Our life gets so crammed full and busy, and we do not want that to happen. So let me give some introduction to this text, and then Evie and Thad are doing this little switch, so Thad's going to come up and read it for us. Does he, you got the mic yet? So someone get in the mic. Okay, but I'm going to give some introduction. So we are in Hebrews 10. Again, what we love doing here is we're just going through the Gospel of Matthew, and so next week we're just going to the next section. That allows you in just your own study to kind of follow where we're at. And I feel like if you read the text ahead of time, you're prepared for it. But here's what's going on. Here's kind of the scene where we are. Uh, Jesus, um, he's, uh, Mike preached this last week. He's given, his, he's given now instructions to the 12. And he's sending the 12 out, in a sense, on their first short, short-term mission. He's actually sending them to some cities where Jesus has been. And Jesus has already ministered. But as he does so, he's sending them with his authority. They, they're not doing anything that Jesus isn't doing. So they're walking in step with him and his authority. And while 
what we read here is very specific to the 12 disciples. Matthew remembers writing this after Jesus' resurrection, after he's ascended to heaven, as Matthew's reflecting back on this, and he's writing this to the church in the first century, which is experiencing persecution for being, being called Christians or people of the way or Christ followers. So there's great difficulty they're experiencing. So it's specific to the 12. It's for the early church, and we understand that but it's recorded for us too. So we need to hear it that way. There's where, ways in which following Jesus requires something of us. There's something that will happen to us. So we want to hear it all the way through that lens. So when Matthew records it, he does it for the encouragement of the church and their understanding as they continue to follow Jesus, sharing the good news of the kingdom he's bringing in during much opposition and conflict. So here's, here's how we understand this kingdom. The kingdom that he's bringing... You don't vote for it. Somewhere this next couple, ooh, somewhere this fall, we're going to go through craziness and all this stuff again, you know? And somewhere we're going to get an opportunity to vote. But we don't vote for this kingdom. This kingdom's invisible. And Jesus is building this kingdom inside the hearts of his people. And so we're meant to walk with him and live it out. In a world, you remember the context when he, when he said, when he sees these people, he says this. Jesus says, they're like, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that does not describe the world then and the world right now. I don't know what does. Just craziness out there. But then he says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So you pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, the sovereign Lord, send out workers. So essentially what Jesus is doing here right now, he's building his Oh, did I just do something? Building his kingdom with his people. We are to... We're to walk through this bringing good where there is evil. We belong to him. We don't belong to ourselves. So we'll suffer opposition for doing it. It's okay. He says that they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why would it be any different? And he will talk about the cross in some very specific ways here. So that's, that's the text we're going to walk into. Now let me just make this comment. So some of you know I do a lot of traveling. I do work in, the, in Central Asia. I'll be back again in the fall. And I'll say this, in the persecuted church, so all the, all the guys that I work with in all these countries, they were former Muslims that are now Christ followers. They live in places where it's a Muslim government. They read and hear these words very differently than we do. Very much, this is what following Jesus means, and I'm, and I'm doing it. And so we tend to read and hear things through an American lens as much as we can. We, we are that. We are Americans, right? Okay, but... Let's try to set that aside and hear it even bigger because that's how Jesus intends us to hear it. So essentially what Jesus does in this text, he's drawing a line in the sand. And so I use the title this way, Following Jesus Requires a New Allegiance. And what I want to think about, first of all, is just that word allegiance. So we have, you know, allegiance, has, it has connotations of loyalty or commitments. What are you loyal to? What are you committed to? And we can joke about some allegiances. I was really grateful today when Tammy Drews came in with the U.S. flag instead of the Green Bay Packers jersey, which you wear sometimes. That one messes with my allegiance in the fall. You know? And we joke about that one. Not, not a big deal. She loves the Packers. I can't stand them. I love the Bears, okay? But I love her. Okay. That's just, okay. But there's other allegiances that are more significant to us. I grew up in the era, and I don't know if we still do it in school, but my public's you know, my public school, it was I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the country for which, for nation, country, 
help me. I haven't done this for a long time. For which it stands, pledging allegiance to that place. And I don't remember who I was talking to. I can see the face somewhere whose husband's serving somewhere, thanking you. Because we don't thank servicemen and women enough and what that happened. We don't understand what it is to be in this country, okay? But there's some that would pledge allegiance still, and some that are pretty ambivalent about this place that we live in that has got amazing freedoms. Whatever you like, whoever, whether you didn't vote for the person who's run in office or not, we still have amazing freedoms. Pledging allegiance to a flag. Some have great allegiance to family. Family allegiance, okay? So these things that I'm mentioning, they're not necessarily bad things, right? Good things. Is that my primary allegiance? What happens if they're a conflict? So here's what I just want to ask, hopefully in a provoking way. Where are your allegiances? Or to what are you most allegiant? Some of us go like, nothing. Ah, If we say nothing, you know what that really means? I'm most allegiant to myself. Which Jesus is going to address there too. Not to everybody else. Some of us, it's just self-reliance, self-allegiance. So how about this? When everything is threatened, what would you defend the most? What is your greatest allegiance? And here's what Jesus makes crystal clear in this. There is none of us that will go unscathed. Let me just say that. In this text, Jesus makes very clear that above everything, in the midst of everything, it's got to be him. Him front and center. Him primary in allegiance. Him before anything else there is. And you can go like, that's fanatical. It's kind of Jesus' words. And if you got an argument with that, argue with him. And all I want to do, and all we ever do, when we come here, whether it's Mike preaching or Rob or Joe, I just want to expound this scripture clearly and let us grapple with God's word. And, and Mike and I, when we're preaching this, it's been working through us all week long. We're not better than anybody else here. I need the same word I have preached. Jesus, take away the things in me that keep me from following you with everything in my heart. You become the primary allegiance. So if I was going to summarize this, here's how I'd summarize this as the main idea of this text. That following Jesus requires new allegiances, real choices, conflict, and reward. That's what when you follow Jesus, it's going to require new allegiances, real choices, because we decide Conflict, it'll come at you. And reward that he gives. So whenever there's a, a main idea that there's, there's a transformation, a response that the author's intending, and here's how I'd summarize it here. Don't, so don't worry about the conflict that's going to come from following Jesus. Don't worry about it. But love what he loves and receive what he gives. You'll hear that in the last part of the scripture, Okay. So I try, to, I try to summarize. I like knowing where we're going, so I like trying to summarize it. Here's where we're going. Here's what you're going to see. Now let's do this. Thad, come and read. Let's, if we had all stand for a moment, we stand in honor of God's word, and Thad's going to read these verses. If you have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Love for you to have it open. All time, this is the word of the Lord. You got it. Right in that mic. You got to hold it up here, though. And if you don't, then I do, and it's really embarrassing. Okay. Okay. All right. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man, his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother 
more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives, whoever receives you receive me, and whoever receives me, him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Amen. Let's pray as we stand. Father, would you do this? Would you give us understanding into your word? And along with that understanding, would you help us to follow you? You know every person present, all that listen online, you know what our week has been like, you know what we truly think about you, but Lord, would you give us the courage, the understanding and the courage to follow you. You do the change in us that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ted. You may be seated. Okay, so I'm just going to encourage you, if you have a Bible, keep it open. Actually, someone's got a page. Could someone call it out? 528 in the blue one. Thank you. So if you got it, because I'm going to go back and read the words of the text. You want to pay attention to the text more than what I say, but I'm just kind of trying to do that in a way that explains it. There's really, as he says this, you kind of get two main things that he's saying. The first is he's defining this new allegiance, and then he speaks of an interesting way about the relationships and the rewards in this new allegiance. So I'm going to walk through it that way, kind of under those subheadings. A new allegiance is defined. That's verses 34 to 39. And basically what he's describing, he said, here's what following Jesus means. And he says three things, and each of them involves difficult decisions. Following Jesus is going to involve some difficult decisions. Now, once again, I'll make this really clear. I think Cindy said this in, in some of the early words. Um, I do think there's a great difference between religion and following Jesus, okay? And, and I know the church isn't a popular place to be anymore, and it gets bashed for a lot of reasons. And you know why we say there's problems in the church, right? We say this all the time. The reason why there's problems in the church is because there's people in the church, okay? We are the problem. And so the fact that churches are imperfect doesn't surprise us. We all have this need. Actually, what's crazy is um, most of my criticisms, most of my judgments has actually got my pride in it. We ought to just be humble and say, you know, we all got issues. I just got different issues than you. We all got them. But I do want to draw a distinction between religion. Religion, I'm going to use, this is my bad definition, okay? I'm trying to do good things to make myself better, make myself look better. So here's what happens. Remember, Jesus' biggest critics were very religious, but they're hiding behind it. And essentially, they don't understand the gospel. Jesus comes in speaking his kingdom and the gospel that is this. We all need a savior, it doesn't matter whether you're a person, person who grew up in church or not. We all need a Savior. And religious people need this Savior too, which is essentially admitting my need and bowing before him and submitting. Submitting whatever I think is my goodness or su submitting whatever has been my sin. And let me just say, goodness tends to be just pride. Pride is the greatest thing that will ever keep me from following Jesus. Another sermon, but that's my introduction. So, is it, so I'm using the word following Jesus in a distinction from religion I obviously am committed to the church, and actually Jesus is going to talk about relationships in the church here in a weird way. I don't know if you caught it, but that's the last part. Did I just confuse you by going too fast? I see where we're going. 
I, I see the wheels turning. But I, I'm using that phrase, following Jesus, intentionally. So, first one, verse 34, following Jesus means a choice that will cause conflict somewhere with somebody. So I'm going to read the verse again. I don't know if we have them, so I'm just going to read it again. Uh, 34. Oh, crazy, crazy start to this. Listen, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I bet we sing that at Christmas time. Did he just, what, did he just change this? Follow what he's saying. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. Earth, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. What in the world is he saying? I thought Mike did a wonderful job with this last week in, on one particular phrase. I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He says, I came to bring a sword. What's he mean? I mean, are we supposed to go pick religious fights then? No, not at all. He's saying this, following Jesus, it, does, it involves a choice. It involves a decision. It's intentional. There will be a divide. There will be. And sometimes others close to you, when you follow Jesus, some of them won't understand. Some of them may actually disagree. He's just simply acknowledging what is true. Following Jesus, it's going to create a conflict with some people. That's the sword. When he speaks of peace here, it's not true peace. You know, there's some people, how they think of peace, it's ostrich-like. For them, peace is the absence of conflict. Can I say to you, the absence of conflict is not peace. Not true peace. It's ignoring a lot of things going on. It just is. <clears throat> to ignore the truth, to ignore spiritual realities, to ignore the teaching of Jesus or the Bible that will not bring you peace. But to avoid conflict, people do that. They don't speak of it. That, that, that's not it. He's addressing this aspect of avoidance of conflict. Many are in that camp. And he just said, that's not peace. It's not freeing. And allegiance to Jesus will just, it will simply walk you into things that will be difficult and he won't let us. Now I'm going to say some things that are going to be uncomfortable for some of you. I'm just going to say it. They are all in the book of Matthew, so you know. Jesus is much more comfortable talking about eternal judgment and eternal life than most Americans. Uh, it's Matthew 25. He's very crystal clear and speaks of, you know, we, we all, <laughs> he said, don't judge me, don't, okay, we don't, nobody judges each other, it doesn't matter. We all get judged based on our responses to Jesus or not. I mean, that's, that's where it comes, and he tells us that in Matthew 25, and he tells us the end. It just, just is. Um, Jesus speaks very clearly about humanity, he says that um, it's Matthew 19 where he's talking about being made in God's image. That God, he's, don't you know from the beginning, the question's about divorce, don't you know from the beginning it has not been so, but God created the male and female in God's image. And what God has joined together, let no one separate, he says. Jesus says these things. So if I, if I want to ignore him, what am I doing? I'm just, and there's some people that are going to really, really not like that. All I know to do is stand on what Jesus says. That's all I know. And I'll, it's going to cause a conflict, he says that. Secondly, following Jesus means loving Jesus more than family. That one's kind of tough, isn't it? I like my family. Maybe you don't, so maybe it's easy. <laughs> but if you like your family, you're like, what, what, what's he saying? So let me be really clear. You, you can love your family, and you should, just not more than Jesus. Well, that's interesting. And definitely not if their values conflict 
with Jesus. Then you got to go that way. So I'm going to tell two stories. I'm going to change the names. One of them's going to be right here, and one of them won't be. Uh, one of them, someone, uh, man, I, know, I love this person. <clears throat> Can I use a false name? A pseudonym? Let's see. Well, I'll just say, grew up, uh, started coming to our church uh, as, a, as a youth, and uh, when they were studying the Bible, they just like, this really changed things for them. They understood that in their religious tradition, they were that they grew up in, they were practicing some things that were not in the Bible, and it really disturbed them. And they began to talk to their parents about it, I would say in a very respectful way. Oh, somebody just say this. You can respect and love people you don't agree with, and you should. I'll, I'll use another expression. I'll use the expression clear and kind later on. Um, so I thought they were very respectful of their parents, but they'd come from the scripture in some different conclusions and wanted to then be baptized, um, which for their parents' traditions would, would have, could have been seen as forsaking their parents' traditions. And they talked with their parents about it and they respectfully waited, continued to honor their parents until they graduated from high school. I thought they navigated all that so well so much so that her mom came to hear her testimony in a Sunday morning and her dad came. When we go to the lake, we always go to the um, state park, came to the state park to watch the baptism. And she continues to talk to them. They, they, they're still in the traditions they've held, but she continues to talk to them in a loving way. But it was a, I thought that was, was a good model of taking a different step but respecting. I, I told the story about, I'll use his name as Al, I was with Al a couple months ago in a Muslim country. And I would just want, how did you come to faith? I'm asking him. So I did, so I knew him pretty well from a couple times there. I had just met his dad, who was older, and I didn't realize this other guy was his, his younger brother. So, oh no, I was asking his dad how he came to faith. That's what it was. And so he's telling me this story. So when I did Sunday school a couple weeks ago, I actually showed pictures of him and told him real names, countries, and all that. Um, so Al, his dad says this, Al, so remember, the Muslim government and all that, very, very traditionally that way, and he says, Al was a rotten kid all his life. I was always running around, always getting drunk. I had to get him out of jail. And uh, I mean, I'm all the time. And then, he, and then he came to faith, came to believe in Jesus. And I watched him change. And I hated it. I hated it. I was getting him out of jail before. Now I'm putting him in jail. I turned him in to the police. So he had to go. He got, Al got beaten up many times. They tried to starve him to death in jail. Was, but he changed. He goes, his dad, try not to use names. said, I actually went to the seminary. I'm calling up occultic powers to curse him. He said, Islam never did anything for me. I watched the change in Al, my son who's run around, and he just kept loving us and kept loving us, and I kicked him out of the house. I asked his younger brother how he came to faith. He goes like, there's a change in Al. My dad, he was never at home. My dad kicks him out of the house. He says, you know where he goes? He, he goes across the street. He sits there on a rock praying for us. True change. And you know what? He did it uncompromisingly. I watched these guys. So this is over years, time it took, but the beautiful relationship they have from a son who would not forsake Jesus. He believed him, even though he's kicked out of his family. Now, all stories don't end that way. 
There's people that get kicked out and their family's never taken them back. I've been, I've been with those guys too. But you know what happens? They end up gaining a spiritual family. And the true brothers and sisters are the brothers and sisters in the church. And that who take, takes them in. And you're going to see this in the end of this part. That spiritual family is meant to be of a depth, not Sunday nice, but a depth where we actually share real sorrows. We share real joys. We talk about real things. We can walk into real evil with Jesus with us and praying for God to do his work. That's how his kingdom comes, through his people. So following Jesus, it means, it means loving him more than family. The words I would use again, I use this often. I said, be clear and kind. Okay? When you read scripture, it's interesting how scripture's not scared to confront, but I think of the, of the, uh, the words to, to Pastor Timothy. It talks about correction coming. The, the word is with gentleness. With gentleness. And I'm not going to name names or saying, but there's some people who religiously speak certain things in such an abrasive manner. The manner troubles me. Now, there's a time to be really strong, okay? But we can be clear and kind. We can love those who disagree with us. We should. We are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to what? Love our neighbor as ourself. Not those who agree with us. We are to be permeated by that kind of love from him. That, that's goodness overcoming evil. And one of the problems in our culture today is people think if you don't agree, we don't accept people. It's, it's, it's a polarizing thing, continuing to do so. I just say this. In my family, we voted for different people. That should be actually be okay. That should not stop love. Okay? And so you've got to understand each other. We, we, can, we can do that with people we don't agree with and still stand kindly and clearly on the truth that Jesus speaks. Do you know it's not your job to change anybody? It's not mine. You can't. That just gets controlling and abrasive. Jesus can't. He's the only one that can. So pray it. Love people. But don't be compromising on the truth. Okay. Follow, oh, this one's tougher. Third one. Following Jesus means loving Jesus more than, I called it, self-rule. Loving it more than self. We got that one? There it is. Okay. Let me, let me read this so it makes sense. This is where he uses the cross. Uh, verse 38, 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And there's so much in this verse. Okay, so essentially, you understand this. So Christian symbol is a cross. People like crosses. They wear jewelry. But understand this. Um, the cross is a place of execution. So it's a weird piece of jewelry. It'd be like wearing an electrical chair or something. You know? I mean, in that day, seriously, it's like, it's a, they, they saw the cross, the Romans did it to put fear into people. It's how they killed people. They impaled them. But so what he's speaking here, what does it mean for us to take up our cross? He's talking about a certain kind of death. And the death here is essentially death to ourself, death to our self-rule. So I got a bunch of grandkids. The little ones are very comfortable telling you what they think is True in life. And who's, you know, who made you the boss of me is a favorite phrase we did not put on a t-shirt, but we've heard a few times. Um, and the thing about little kids is they just simply say the thing that adults think. I want to be in charge of me. Who told you whatever to say to me? 
you know, now that we don't, you know, now that truth is relative and truth is your truth or whatever, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm my own boss. Essentially what happens is I'm my own God or God's whatever. I mean, we just, that, that's where, that's what we live in right now. Okay. Jesus is being very pointed on that. Is death to self, death to your self ideas, death to your self rule. You're giving up your life for him who gave up his life for you. That's a big deal. That's a, that, that's a huge transaction. That essentially is what being a Christ follower is. I'm not in charge of my life anymore. He is. Now, it's way easy to say, but think about that, those implications in your life when you really don't like your spouse. And that argument went on. Or your kid. How do you love your kid and die to self? and still be truthful. Or in the workplace, I mean, there's gobs of places. So I'll just say that there is, I don't remember, it's my late 30s or 40s, I got really dissatisfied in my marriage. I could list, I, I'm a lawyer, man, I could list 12 things that I wish my wife would just do. She'd just do them, you know, I could, I could list all that out. I remember God just saying to me, yeah, I see that list. You know what the problem is? It's you. And it was. It was. I really, that's how God made her. I mean, there's so many things God's... So one of them was like, all these things in here, that's what you loved about her when you first knew her. Now they drive you crazy. What changed? She's the same. Problem's you. We're a bigger problem than we ever know. It's my self-centeredness. Essentially, that's what'll keep me from following Jesus. That's why I called it self-rule. My self-centeredness. Now there's some people here that are more polite than others, but let me say this, pretty sure... Self-centeredness is in us all. It just masks itself or manifests itself other ways. And what Jesus is saying is that. Loving Jesus, following him, it's death to your self-rule. And when there's death to self-rule, that results in actually finding life. Death to your selfish interests being primary. You, that you would love Jesus and love Jesus' interests more than your selfish interests. And in losing your life for Jesus' sake, he says, you'll find life. That is, you'll be free. <laughs> you'll actually, you'll be really alive. And here's the thing. Selfish pursuits don't ultimately satisfy. I can say that to you with all confidence. They just don't ultimately satisfy. There always has to be something else. They don't bring freedom to your life. Giving up your life for Jesus actually is the only place that brings freedom. I, it's weird. It, it's counterintuitive. It's spiritual. It really is. It, it just, I don't know how to describe it. Explain it. It's what he does. And that's what he says. Now, the second part, I think, is part of the promise of this. So verses 40 to 42, I'll read the whole thing again, is some of the relationships and the rewards that are in this new allegiance. Relationships and rewards. So I'm going to read it, and I want you to listen for two words. Listen for the word receive, how does he use it, and the word reward, which we're not very comfortable with, but Jesus uses it. So, uh, Whoever receives you, receives... Oh, let's be interactive. Oh, don't put it up. Don't put it... Take it down. I did, that's my fault. I did, okay. You got to look in your own Bibles. <clears throat> now you know it's coming. I like pop quizzes, but okay. Whoever receives you, receives... Wait, wait, wait. Whoever receives you receives who? Me. Who's speaking? 
Jesus is speaking, thinking about this. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. I won't do any more pop quizzes. You can, okay. You can put up that. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these, what's the word? Little ones. Even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple. Truly I say to you, he by no means will leave, lose his reward. This is a really interesting one. Now, I paused on that one. I wanted, you, I wanted to make it pronounced. Whoever receives you, 12 disciples, church, receives Jesus, me. Is that weird? What's he mean? Is this the only place? Is it, did he make an oops? Does he, does he say this anywhere? Ooh, I'm off my notes. Just follow me, Thad. We'll see where we go. All right. Here's what I want, want you to get. That to receive a brother or sister is to receive Jesus. To love a brother or sister is to love Jesus. Follow me. This isn't the only place where Jesus says this. Um, when, before Paul was called Paul, his name was Saul, and he's persecuting the church. So this is the Damascus Road. And so he's been putting people in prison um, he struck down with the light on the Damascus road and a voice calls from, from heaven, okay? And he's been hurting the church. And so the voice says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, he says. He's putting the church, the church, brothers, he's putting him in, he's putting him in jail. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me. What's Jesus doing? Or Matthew 25. This same book. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's actually the place where he's talking about judgment to come. And he says, there's a judgment that's coming. I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats. And this is where he actually speaks of eternal punishment and eternal life. And he says to those who get called to eternal life, he says, well, you did all these things for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I, when I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. When I needed water, you gave me water. And they'd be like, when did we do that? We didn't see you. I don't think I gave you this verse, did I, Thad? Okay, it's verse 40. Here's what he says. They're like, when? when? We never saw you like that, Jesus. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Get what Jesus is saying, okay? This is, this is throughout Scripture where he says it here. Whoever receives you receives me. He's talking about brothers and sisters, the spiritual family, is what he's saying. You did it to me. Now follow me applicationally. Think about this. So I don't know how you see others. It's really easy to get annoyed of others, right? Annoyed all the time. Don't raise your hand. Don't point at anybody. How many got annoyed already when you walked in? No hands. I had someone ask me one time, I just come back from Central Asia and they go like, hey, after all the stuff you're dealing with people over there, do you ever get annoyed when you come here? When someone asks you a stupid question, I said, boy, that was insightful. <laughs> I said, I do, but actually how God works with me, I'm like, the person who's asking me that doesn't know that life over there. All they know is this one here. That's all they know. So let's be gracious. How many times have I been annoyed? Let's go worse. 
How many times have I not liked something they did? How many times have I been bitter? Have I held a grudge? Or is there someone I'm not speaking to? Don't talk to them. You know, follow this. When you receive them, you receive me. Do you ever get frustrated by somebody in the church? They're the same as Jesus. Think about that. This, oh, by the way, this has really confronted me a lot of times. I'm like, oh, Lord. Can you help me love them like you love them? Because you love them. I want to. I need you to change. That's what's going on. Do you ever get frustrated by someone in the church? Do you, do you love them like Jesus? Do you see them like Jesus sees them? That, 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 that's right there. That's what he's saying in there. So you don't have to raise your hand, but guilty is charged, right? I got that going on. This is the part where I need him to change me. So again, here's what Jesus is doing, this whole text, front and center. He wants to be, right? He wants to be the one we're following. Not, not more than family, not more than my own interests, my own ideas, right Right there, it's going to cause some conflict some places, but we want to receive. All this language is about brothers and sisters to receive them. Receive them, because when you receive them, you're receiving me. Let that land on you. Big. The next one, I'll I'll do a little bit quicker, but this whole receiving kind of thing, uh, verse 41, receiving a prophet or a righteous person. Uh, the one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person will receive a, a righteous person's reward. It, it's just interesting. So what I make of that, he's speaking a prophet or righteous person. I, it's, in our current society, it's difficult to honor leaders. We tend to see leaders' flaws, and they, they, they have them. And in the church, they have them also. But I, I want to say that it is appropriate to honor pastors, teachers, spiritual leaders in their service. On the one hand, They are simply people. We are sheep. I am a sheep. I am like you. I need the same gospel you need. Mike does. But but to, uh, it's in the Hebrews where it speaks to this. Pray for them. Be glad you're not them. No. Um, Pray for them in terms of what they do. So there's something of honoring that is is appropriate in Scripture. Um, 42, little ones. Interesting expression. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple... So this little one's a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Um, Jesus has a great affection for little ones. He just does. And so you go, who are the little ones? There's a lot of ways. They're, they're unprotected, unnoticed, undefended. Jesus, when I mean, you see this in the Old Testament, New Testament, I hate it when people say, ah, the God of the Old Testament's different than the God of the New Testament. Read the whole Bible. God's heart for the fatherless, the widow, the alien, the, the alien, that's the uh, immigrant, illegal ones even. I mean, he, he has a heart for those. He just does, the undef- undefended. Uh, Matthew, do we have these ones? Thad, did I give you the Matthew 18 verses? Go ahead and put them up, see what we got. Do you, do you have the actual verse? No, okay, I, I got it. I didn't tell you, my, my bad. I'm gonna read this, Matthew 18. He speaks of little ones here. Um, I, just, I, I, what, I want you to get his heart for little ones. This is the last point, okay? But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, whoever that little one is, think of abuse. Whoever calls one of these little ones to sin, 
It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. God the Father, Jesus, cares about little ones. Uh, verse 10, see that no, you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, they're in heaven. Their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 in the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices more over it than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. All I simply want to do is draw your attention to this. Jesus cares about little ones and so should we. And use that term widely. The undefended, the unprotected, the ones that have no voice. You can fit a lot of things into that category. And here's what he says. And it's as simple as, in the metaphor, bringing a cup of cold water. Simple things matter. Some of you are awesome at this. When someone's hurting, you don't know what to say, you bring a meal. It's communicating something. Then he talks about the blessings that come. And you're like, what are blessings? We, we get uncomfortable talking about this. But I just want to say it super widely. He doesn't define it. Is it money? We like to think of money being blessings. Yeah, maybe. And there's that verse that talks about treasure in heaven. I think it's way bigger. You remember, so in chapters five and six, he talks about uh, blessings. Blessed are those. He, so he doesn't define exactly what this is, but here's what I'm pretty sure of. He's a good God and he's generous. He's loved us with the most precious thing in the world to his, in his heart. He gave us his son. If he's given us Jesus, he's not going to become stingy. He's not going to withhold something else we need. So whatever this is in terms of reward, it's a blessing. It's good. It's not minor. It isn't stingy. So let me end this way, just asking these questions again. Where are your allegiances primarily? When you hear Jesus' words about this, what's your reaction? When he talks about the conflict that comes. It's been throughout history. Before Christ, after Christ, all the way. When you hear that in terms of loving him more than family, especially if the values conflict, or loving him more than your self-centeredness where that is. How do you hear that in terms of allegiance? Are you willing to follow him like that? As we do, as we belong to him, taking up our cross, there's, I think, one of the rewards actually is the relationships in spiritual family. Relationships that go to a different level of depth. That's what he means. True brothers and sisters receiving like that. Hearing what's really going on, we don't have to say things that are nice and good. I can tell you how bad I'm actually struggling. I can share that with you and you can actually pray for me without judgment. Coming alongside, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. I think that's what spiritual family is supposed to do. And we walk into it with the very presence of Christ. It is not your job to change anyone. But be Jesus where we are clear and kind, truthful and loving. May he do that in us all. May he do that in the church that he's forming here. Um, so I'm going to close in prayer. I am going to ask your prayer for one other thing, though. So Tuesday, <clears throat> um, 
I have an unusual opportunity and a, and a, and a privilege. So Dee Dee Dunn would come here sometimes. Uh, we knew Dee Dee for a long time. Some of you have known her well. She had great impact on this community. But I'm going to get to facilitate her service, um, which will be very interesting since it's at the Yacht Club with an open bar and all her friends, you know, kind of feel like, eh, I, think, I, really, I think Jesus would walk in that space, you know. Um, but I want to bring Jesus in really, however that is. Uh, we had great conversations. You don't ever have to know what God's doing with something. Just trust him and walk into it, right? Let him do what he's going to do because he never stops working. So I hope you know that. Let's pray. Father, again, I don't know why, I don't know how, but this text you prepared for us this day. And you knew who would be here. So I just asked this, God, you, I asked that you would give us ears to hear you. And that's what matters most. You know our hearts. You know the places we struggle. You know our fights. You know our questions. You know our troubles. You know our worries. And you, O oh Christ, live. You, O oh Christ, intend to bring your kingdom through your people. And Lord, we, we ask that you would shape us more like you. We need to be shaped like you. We confess that we've often been shaped too much by our ideas. So let that be so. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a hunger for following you, a hunger for knowing you in your word, and the courage to follow you as you will, and love for everyone. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.